This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Jamie, your friendly neighborhood TV preacher. Today we're going to you via video because we're honoring the government's orders to stay at home. We trust that this pandemic will end soon and that we'll be able to gather in this place on the Lord's Day very soon. Until then, we're asking the Lord to continue to show us grace as we endure through this season faithfully for His glory. Now, whether you're tuning in today by yourself or with your family, I trust that you've been able to get a hold of the Home Worship Guide, and there you can follow along with our order of worship this morning. Um, But can I just say, let's not waste this pandemic. Right now, many of you are gathering around God's Word with your family. Even when this pandemic is over, can we just make that a part of our routine week to gather with our family around God's Word and to hear Him speak to us, to pray together, to sing together, and to rejoice in the goodness of God together? And on that note... Let's open to the book of Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be exploring this morning what it looks like to put Jesus first in parenting. Putting Jesus first in parenting. Now, of course, not all of us have children. Some of us want children, and the Lord has yet to grant to us children. Others of us have children, and they've moved out. But no matter what season of life you're in, you are someone's child, and you know someone with children. So we all have a part to play in putting Jesus first in parenting. So this message is for us all. I'm going to pray in a minute, but first I would like to tell you about our Fellowship 244 initiative. The Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, All who believed were together and had all things in common. Fellowship 244 is just one of the ways that we seek to do that. We want to make sure that every member of this church has their basic needs being met. If you want to participate in Fellowship 244, uh, right now from home, one of the easiest ways that you can do this is to log on to an online chat platform called River, which our church has a part of. Uh, Some of you have already done this. You'll get an email this week with some instructions on how exactly you can participate in this chat platform. There on River, you can post any physical needs that you may have, um, and others can respond to those needs and, and possibly even meet those needs for you. Or maybe you have an extra washer and dryer sitting around at home that someone else in the church might be able to use. Maybe you're pretty good at fixing cars and you would like to offer that service to your church family. Maybe you have a lawnmower, you can't get it working and someone else can come and help you. Maybe you like to sew and you can fix clothes and tailor things. Whatever it is that you service you want to offer to our church, at, uh, um, uh, Fellowship 244 is one of the ways in which you can do that. We're just making sure that no member goes without having their needs met. First John three seventeen says, that if you have the world's goods and you see a brother in need, you have an obligation to meet those needs. Fellowship 244 is just one of the ways that we do that. So look for that email coming to you sometime this week. Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Today I'm going to be praying from Psalm 119, verses 121 to 128. And then I'd like to say a short prayer uh, for our school teachers. 
So if you would, please join me in praying. God of all grace, hear us this morning as we pray. We come to you not alone, but through Jesus, your Son, our Savior. He has granted us access to your throne. And we know because of Jesus, you hear us. You always hear us. Father, we have sought to do what is just and right. Do not leave us to our oppressors. Will you give your servants a pledge of good? We know that you are good. Do not let us be oppressed by the insolent. Don't let the godless take advantage of us. Our eyes long for your salvation, for your son, Jesus. Oh, how we need to see him today. Would you reveal to him, reveal him to us today? He is the fulfillment of every promise you've ever made. Deal with us kindly today, Father, according to your unfailing love. Teach us your ways. The Bible is the textbook of our lives. Will you make us faithful students of the Bible? We are your servants. Will you teach us? Will you train us? Will you teach us how to read your word? Give us eyes to see the glory of Jesus in your word. Lord, would you make us a Bible-saturated people? We need you to act, Lord. We can't do this on our own. Sometimes the desire is not in us. We need you to create it in us. We have broken your laws. We have neglected to keep your ways. Lord, please move on our behalf. We know your ways are right. We hate every deceitful detour that we take. Lead us down the right path where your name is honored, where we are safe, where God's glory is seen. Would you guide us, sweet spirit of the Lord, to please the Lord? Father, we thank you for public school teachers. Much has been asked of them in these last weeks. And you have blessed our homes with a new confidence that these teachers truly do care for our children. Lord, for those teachers who are weary, will you give them strength? For those teachers who have, have to balance home life and online school life, give them wisdom. Give them patience. For teachers who are far from God, Lord, use these days to bring them to a knowledge of Jesus. Grant to them repentance and faith. For those teachers who are in Christ, restore them. Refresh them. Meet them with grace and the lasting pleasures of God. May they know the pleasure of God over their lives as they labor for you and for the benefit of our children. Lord, we do thank you for all the ways that you're using coronavirus to serve us, to expose latent sins in our life. Thank you for the reminder of your faithful providence and your control over every aspect of our lives. May we endure well another week, putting Jesus first in our lives. Amen. 
Well, it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. As last week, we're going to start reading at verse 17. We're going to read all the way down into chapter 4, verse 1. So this is Colossians three seventeen and following. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Jackson and Carter were six and seven, respectively. But they waged brother-on-brother warfare like the great generals of old. They'd fight about everything. They'd fight about the Nintendo. They'd fight about their race cars. They'd fight about whose baseball glove belonged to who. They'd fight about who got to sit next to dad at dinner time. And despite Carrie's repeated attempts to get them to stop, they fought all the more. Carrie knows yelling at her sons isn't right, but she's tired. She's threatened them with spankings. Her countdown game is on point. Nothing works, and she is at her wit's end. How? Can I help my sons, she wonders. Hannah is 17 years old, and she has a boyfriend. His name is Jared. He's a nice young man. He comes from a good home. Hannah has never given Chris or Amanda any reason not to trust her. She helps out around the house. She gets good grades at school. She's never late to soccer practice. It's not like her to act like this. When Chris told her she couldn't go with Jared to that concert late on Saturday night, Hannah exploded. She lashed out, accusing her parents of not trusting her, of being controlling, and of hating Jared. She stomped off. She slammed her bedroom door. Chris and Amanda looked at each other. Both cried. Are we being too strict? They wondered. They can remember just a few short years ago 
Lauren used to climb up on their laps and watch TV. Her sense of wonder was only outmatched by her energy, which seemed to be endless. They remember stroking her hair as she would fall asleep in their arms. Today, they're carrying the last box into her dorm room. It seems so small. The drive home is unusually silent. Some questions go without saying. Will our little girl be okay? She didn't know how to bring it up. She didn't know when to bring it up. More than anything, she hated having to do this by herself. Everything in her wanted to ignore and act like it didn't happen, but what she saw on her teenager's smartphone devastated her. In the back of her mind, she she always knew that she'd have to deal with this sometime, but she wasn't prepared for it now. What do I say? she wondered. It's 1 a.m. The doorbell rang. It was Caleb. And Tom, half awake, opened the door. Is everything all right? We got into it again, Dad. Jen kicked me out. Laura made coffee, and they talked until the sun came up. How do you parent adult children? Well, these are just a few samples of a lifetime of situations and unanswered questions that every parent faces without warning and without permission. And there are thousands more. How much TV is too much TV? Instagram or no Instagram? Should I have different standards for different children? Should I let my daughter stay the night at her friend's house? When is the right time, if ever is there a right time, to give my teenager a smartphone? Should I intervene or let him learn the lesson on his own? Is my kid being bullied or is my kid the bully? Should I call the doctor or just let him sleep through the night? Do I homeschool or public school? What do I do if my kid is a Michigan fan? Well, today I hope to show from Scripture that parenting is a privilege. And I want to give hope to every man and every woman tuning in that there is hope for you for parenting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of what season of parenting you're in. We're going to work through two verses to make one simple point. I've already mentioned it. Put Jesus first in parenting. Put Jesus first in parenting. Now, I I must warn you, there's going to be some things that I say today which will be 
a, a, a dramatic paradigm shift in the way that we approach parenting. We may go a little bit longer than normal, but you're at home, probably sitting on your chair or couch, and this is a video, so you can pause it and come back later if you want. I have three points to make this morning, and the first is this. If you hear nothing else that I say today about parenting, if you can remember only one thing, remember this. Parenting is discipling. Parenting is discipling. And like all discipleship, it's for life. From the moment the doctor lays her on your chest, from the moment that you drop her off for her first day at school, from the moment that you console her after a painful breakup, from the moment that she asks you for marital advice, to the moment when you're holding her hand in the delivery room, parenting is discipling. It's leading little souls to Christ. Which means the most relevant Bible verse on parenting might actually be Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20, where the Lord Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage is the foundation for Colossians 3. Parenting is discipling. It's about showing our children the excellencies of Christ and the ways of the Lord. This is how it has always been. God said this of Abraham in Genesis 18. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord By doing righteousness and justice. God told Israel, you shall teach my commandments diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. Deuteronomy 6-7. Has it ever struck you that honor your father and mother is in the Ten Commandments? You know, the Ten Commandments is sort of like the constitution of the people of God. Can you imagine if children obey your parents was included in the United States Constitution? But the relationship between a parent and a child are foundational for the people of God. So if you remember only one thing I say today, remember, parenting is discipling, leading little souls to Christ. If you can remember two things, remember the second, that discipling is about the heart. So if you can remember those two things, that parenting is discipling and that discipling is about the heart, these two things will forever change the way 
you parent your children. There are dozens of the implications of those two things. Because first, it means that successful parenting is not primarily about providing well for your kids. Successful parenting is not primarily about getting your kids into the very best schools. Successful parenting is also not primarily about removing the obstacles for them to have a successful life. The primary goal of parenting is pointing our children to Christ. Which means that you will be far less hands-on in some areas of their life and far more hands-on in other areas of their life. Uh, Your child's academic achievements, your child's achievements in sports matter very little compared to how well they know the Bible. It's not that those other things are unimportant. It's just that when given the choice of whether to go to church on a Sunday morning or go to a soccer game on a Sunday morning, it's just a no-brainer. Another implication, and this one is humbling. If successful parenting means pointing our kids to Christ, then we have to recognize that whether or not they come to Christ is not ultimately, not decisively in our hands. It is God who saves. Our jobs as parents is to faithfully and to persistently point to the surpassing beauty of Jesus in everything. Our job is to live humbly before the Lord and before our children and to let them see the light of God in our lives, to let them see our delight in God, and then to pray like crazy for their souls. Parenting is discipling, and discipling is about the heart. This will completely change the way we approach disobedience and discipline. If Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is the foundation of parenting, then that means that Proverbs 4.23 is probably like the floor joists of parenting. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It means your children don't have a behavior problem. Your children have a heart problem. Their little tiny hearts encased in the cutest little bodies are not morally neutral. The Bible says that we're all born in sin. The wickedness of the human heart doesn't take long to express itself. 
Anyone with a toddler can be amening right now. A major part of discipling your children is getting from their behavior to their heart. John Calvin once wrote that the human heart is a factory of idols. I don't think that applies to only adult hearts. Parents are never just dealing with their child's actions. They're always dealing with their child's hearts. And their heart, like your heart, prefers self-glory, self-promotion, self-direction, self-appeasement. No one had to teach your kid to be selfish. They were pre-programmed that way. Which means merely modifying their behaviors is never going to work. Obedience and disobedience, these are heart issues. And how does God deal with matters of the heart? With the grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And not, and this will sting, with the law. Fellow parents, the law cannot and will not create a heart change in your child. It may change their behavior, but the heart will remain unaffected. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said about the Pharisees? They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me means that they kept their obedience on the outside. They kept rules, but their hearts were dead. Only the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ can change your child's heart. I'm going to say that again. Only the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ will change your child's heart. Now understand, we need the law. Colossians 3.20 is a law commanding our children, obey your parents in everything. That's a law. There are rules in your home. There need to be rules in your home. Our kids need the law. 1 Timothy 1.8 says that we, the law is good as long as we're using the law the right way. And the purpose of the law is to point us to Christ. And this, this will mark another, another shift in the way we think about parenting. Your child's disobedience is not primarily about you. Your child's disobedience is primarily about God. It is God's law they are breaking. When your child disobeys you, their parent, it is sin. And sin is first and foremost a sin against God, and then only secondarily a sin against you. The psalmist understood this well when he wrote in Psalm 51 verse 4, 
Against you and you alone have I sinned. Your child's disobedience is mostly an offense against Almighty God and only secondarily an offense against you. And yet, how many of us get frustrated when their offense is against us? We take it personally. And we never take time to consider that their offense is a sin against a holy and just God. So when your teenager dishonors his mother, it's an offense against God. It's a sin. Call it what it is. It must be named. God has commanded him to honor his father and his mother. He has broken God's commandments. It is sin, and it must be treated as sin. Which means, again, we don't treat sin with the law. We treat sin with the gospel. So many of us treat law-breaking with more law. You broke the rules? Here's some more rules. As if the goal were rule-keeping. Brother, sister, if you are teaching your kids that being good means keeping rules, you're teaching them how to be a Pharisee. They don't need Jesus to keep rules. And the goal isn't rule-keeping. The goal is your baby's heart to be entranced by the glory of the Lord Jesus. And the only way this happens is by placing them in front of the cross at every turn. When they sin, make the connection between the first part of verse 20 and the second part of verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. You've got to move the nucleus of their obedience to the pleasures of God. And the only way you get their heart to make that move is with the gospel. Here's how it works. When your child disobeys, confront it with the law. Name the sin. It's lying. It's stealing. It's unkindness. It's unwholesome speech. It's selfishness. It's coveting. It's sin. And treat your child's sin with your Savior's gospel. Bring your child to the cross. So when they're young, it's it's really quite simple. You sit down with her and you say, Sweetheart, you lied to mommy. God wants us to tell the truth. Lying is sin. It hurts others. Baby, God tells me that I have to spank you so that you know sin is bad. But even when we sin, God still loves us. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Do you want to confess your sin 
and ask Jesus to forgive you? And then the spanking, and then the hugging, and then a reassurance of God's love and your love. When they're older, it's similar. The the conversation goes differently, but the solution is the same. You've got to get from the behavior to the heart. Ask the why questions. Expose their sin from God's law. And treat their sin with God's gospel. Fellow parents, if you are disciplining your children and you haven't got to the cross, you haven't got to your kids. You've got to take their hard, impenitent hearts to God's warm, radiant love that we see displayed the cross of Jesus Christ. Parenting is discipling. Discipling is about the heart. And a heart can only be changed by the gospel. This is what it looks like to put Jesus first in parenting. That's point one. The next two points will be shorter, but they spring from this one. Point two, and this one's addressed to children. We'll stay in verse 20. Children, obey your parents. The Bible says, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. All right, kids, so listen. Listen carefully. God is talking to you. Did you know God talks to you? God talks to you just like he talks to your parents. And here's what he's saying to you today. He's saying, listen to mom and dad and obey them. Now, does, does he say, obey your mom and dad in some things? Or does he say, obey mom and dad when you want to? No. He says, obey mom and dad in everything. That's really hard to do, isn't it? It's hard for me, too. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to obey mom and dad in everything? Well, think about Jesus. Did Jesus obey his parents only when he wanted to? Did Jesus obey his parents in everything? Yes, of course, Jesus obeyed his parents in everything. Now, here's something you might not know. Obeying his parents was hard, even for Jesus. Jesus obeyed his heavenly father, even when it was really, really hard to do. He did it anyway. And do you want to know why? It's because he loved you. The Bible says that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that when you believe in him, you don't have to die. You can live forever. So when your mom and your dad ask you to clean your room or to share with your sister, or to clean up after dinner, obey them because Jesus loves you. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus either. But remember, Jesus did it anyway because he loved you. So what do you do if you just don't want to listen? Here's the secret. You want to know the secret? 
when you don't want to obey your parents, talk to Jesus. Did you know that when you pray, Jesus hears you? He does. When you don't want to obey your parents, pray to Jesus and ask him to help you. And here's the last thing. This is probably the best thing of all. The Bible says, when you obey your parents, this pleases the Lord. You make God happy. By depending on Jesus, by obeying your parents, you make God happy. God is such a great big, happy God. He's the most happy being in the whole universe. And I want you to feel God's happiness. Obey your parents in everything. Okay? Last point. And this one, verse 21, is to the fathers. Fathers, encourage your children. Here's what Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Among the most sobering realities of fatherhood is is the fact that what your children experience in you, they project onto God. Brothers, you teach more about the character and nature of God with your demeanor than you do with your words. If you are exacting, controlling, impossible to please, that's what your children will think God is like. If you're distant, unengaged, self-absorbed, That's how your children will view God. But if you're selfless, giving, patient, full of mercy, full of joy, fun, full of encouragement, this is how your children will generally view God. Sobering. So the instructions to fathers begin with encouragement. Make obedience easy in your home and encourage the heck out of your kids. The word provoke in verse 21 means to irritate, to embitter. Actually, the full force of the word has to do with goading someone to square up, to accept a challenge. Brothers, God would not have us make rule-keeping become the markers of our affection. You must not let your children think that to earn your affection, they must accept the challenge of keeping your rules. Literally, that is the opposite of the gospel. If you do this, you'll have my favor. The gospel is that Jesus Christ has earned the favor of God for us by his life and his death. And since we are in Christ, we have been given the favor of God. And because we have his favor, because we have his love, 
we keep his commandments. It's the same thing with your kids. Don't withhold love until they obey. Give love regardless of whether they obey. And then they will love to obey. Now, discipline is necessary. And discipline is for their good. You've heard me say it before. Parents, we discipline our children. We don't punish our children. Discipline is for correction. Punishment is for retribution. We discipline as a corrective to lead their sinful hearts to the safety of Jesus and away from the path of destruction. Take some time, brothers, this week and meditate on Hebrews chapter 12. And there you will see God's discipline for your your life is an act of love. Here's verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Yes, of course, discipline stings, but the point of discipline isn't to injure or to crush spirits. The point of discipline is to cultivate the fruit of righteousness and to train our children in the ways of the Lord. Very quickly, here are four ways to encourage your children with corrective discipline. Some of this we've already touched on. First, first thing, I've had to learn this over and over and over in my own life. At the very first moment of disobedience, pray for love. Because there is a tendency in, I think, all of us to get caught up into the frustration of the moment, to take their disobedience personally, and to lash out. Brothers, be slow to anger. James 1.20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. No child produced the, pre- the peaceful fruits of righteousness by being blasted in their ears by their father's angry rants. So maybe that just means you have to cool off and pray and then come back and discipline. But do it in love. Second, look for the heart. We've already talked about this. Remember, it's not about their behavior. It's about their heart. And so you've got to use the law to expose the sin in their heart. And then third, correct it with the gospel. Spanking, grounding, it won't change their heart. It may teach them not to cross you, but it won't teach them to repent to God. It might, you might succeed in making them obedient to you, but if their heart is not obeying you for the pleasures of God, you haven't discipled them. So whatever else you talk about, whatever else 
uh, repercussions come from their disobedience. You must get their heart to the cross. And then fourth, affirm their affirm them in your love. Affirm them in God's love. Before any talking is over, tell them of God's love for them. Tell them of your love for them. In whatever age-appropriate way, make sure that they know they're loved. They need to know that what you're doing is not because you're angry with them, and it's not because you're displeased with them. Now, you may be displeased with what they did or didn't do, but you're never displeased with them. They don't have to earn your love, and you're never going to take it away from them. You have to model Jesus in those moments. Let me close with three things. Many of us grew up in homes that didn't model biblical parenting. And it's likely that we are repeating the sins that we suffered from our parents down on our children. You're probably not meaning to do that. And by God's grace, it might not be in the same way, but it's likely that there are patterns there. It doesn't have to be that way. There are resources to help you. The first, stick with the Bible. If it's true that parenting is discipling, then there actually is a parenting manual. It's called the Bible. The Bible will help you more than any other book how to parent your child. Second, pray, repent, rinse and repeat. When you've blown it, when you've yelled at your kids, when you've retreated from your kids to your phone, when you've stress-eaten an entire box of Oreos, turn to Jesus. Your kids need you to repent. To Je- they need to see you repenting. They need to see that you need Jesus as much as they need Jesus. So repent. When you sin against them, confess it to them. And third, stick close to your church. There are other fathers and mothers in your church who have been through the same situation you're going through. You can resource them. Get yourself into a Living Stones group and ask for prayer. Pray the Lord would raise up a Titus 2 kind of ministry where mothers are ministering to mothers and fathers are ministering to fathers. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go yourself to them. Even if you don't have children, the church is your family. You can help parents put Jesus first in their parenting. We need help, believe me. Parenting is discipling. Discipling is about the heart. And this takes the whole church. This is how to put Jesus first in parenting. Let's pray.
Lord Most High, once again, you have brought us low. We find ourselves undone by the perfection of your word. It has served us well. Thank you that even in our lostness, you've not left us alone. You've turned toward us. You've showed your love to us even while we were in our sin. And you have presented Jesus to us again. How wonderful and how good you are to us. Lord, would you forgive us for not seeing parenting as an opportunity to point little souls to Jesus? Will you forgive us for missing the heart and pointing only to the behavior? Lord, forgive us for the ways in which we have created little Pharisees. Forgive us for expecting the law to do what only the gospel can do. And then when it doesn't work, getting frustrated, taking it out on our kids. By your grace, enable us to point our children to Jesus. May we become more offended when our children dishonor you than when they dishonor us. Help us to see their disobedience as an opportunity for gospel ministry. May the cross become central in our parenting. And may we all take on the community project leading little souls to Jesus, whether they're our kids or someone else's. Jesus deserves the praise of all. Amen. Your assurance of pardon this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Grace and peace.